between, uh, between me and Luis here, we got one good person. <laughs> or one healthy person. Why to say that? Hey, uh, grab one of these on the way out. Put this on your refrigerator as a uh, reminder to be praying for this young couple. Amen? Because believe me, if you're away from family and friends and your local church, you would desperately want people to be praying for you. Amen? Amen. All right, uh, you guys know we're in 1 Thessalonians, and let me, let me make sure we're good to go here. We're in 1 Thessalonians. Last week we finished up, uh, we started chapter 3, and we finished chapter 3, right? That's pretty good progress, right? That's pretty good progress. Well, this week we're going to be looking into chapter 4, and in chapter 4, it's a transition. There's a transition in chapter 4, and it starts right at the very beginning, and uh, you, you will see it as we navigate the Scripture and whatnot. And um, <clears throat> the good thing, the good thing about studying through the scriptures as opposed to jumping around everywhere in the scriptures, you have no control over the content of the scripture. And so when you study your way through the scriptures, you got to deal with the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about you deal with the easy stuff, you deal with the, the sweet stuff, and then you got to deal with some pretty heavy stuff. And so today we're in a portion of scripture that we're going to deal with It's kind of heavy. But it's the church's responsibility to work through this type of scripture with those who would identify as followers of Jesus, right? There's no running, ducking, or hiding from the more difficult things of the scripture. You just have to deal with it. And, uh, and that's what we're going to do this morning as we look into uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to read these eight verses. We're going to pray over this scripture and pray for, that God would just give us receptive hearts. But you must understand this is some heavy stuff, right? This is some heavy stuff, TV mature stuff. So if some of you feel like you might have kids in here that uh, don't need to hear this, it's your prerogative uh, to move your children out and send your children downstairs with the, the children's ministry. You can do that. But we're going to deal with some real stuff this morning, and we're going to be really, really honest. That's the way that the power and the effectiveness of God's Word is measured in our honesty to receive it and not just discount it. It's very, very powerful when we take it for what it is, that being the Word of God, and we pull it into ourselves, right? And so we're going to look at the Scripture this morning, and that's exactly what we're going to do, all right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and it reads as this. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact you are living, now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. And every former Nazarene, Wesleyan person in the back, you know, has that uh, persuasion of theology. Oh, man, you're just ready to dance all over this place, aren't you? You're like, oh, yeah, that, that's my, uh, uh, that, that, those are the terms I'm familiar with. Yeah. It says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should, listen, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. 
And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish. That's strong in it. That's a strong, strong word, right? The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God. The very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now we got to understand before we even go any further what Paul's motives are. And I'm going to read one more scripture. It is found at the end of the last chapter. His motives are this, inspired by God. He says, may he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. That's the motivation of Paul in the inspiration of the Spirit in writing this letter to the church of Thessalonica. He wants to be able to present them before God blameless and holy. Amen? Let's pray this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, we need your help to navigate this scripture accurately with an understanding and a clarity that everyone can grasp and that we can leave here with a true understanding of what it means to live holy and pure before you and the fact that that should be our desire this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Pleasing. Dan, I'm going to need you to get another bottle of water. And you're like, oh no, right? <laughs> Pleasing God should be our number one priority. Is that, is that, as followers of Jesus, right? And so we're going to work our way through this scripture, okay? Hang with me. Hang with me. I wanted to cover this entire chapter. Once we get through these eight verses, you're going to understand why I didn't. But I do want to say to you, in, these, uh, in this chapter, we're going to see a reflection of what Jesus com considered the greatest commandments. Remember when the Pharisees came and said, the teacher said, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love God first and foremost, and love people as yourself. The second is like unto the first. You remember that? What we're going to find in this scripture is something very similar to that because he's going to be addressing pleasing God, loving God. And in the scripture next week, he's going to be talking about loving your neighbor or loving your brother and your sister. So there's this overarching theme that's found in this chapter that is kind of summarized by the response of Jesus regarding the greatest of the commandments, okay? All right, this is what the scripture says. And we're going to work our way through it. Y'all ready? Everybody's on the track. I haven't lost anyone yet, right? You're still with me? Well, Terry is. Okay, Terry, you're with me? You and I and Ronnie and Penny? All right. Chase and Brooke, because they can't go anywhere. They're stuck on the front row. They got to be with me, right? Okay, let's, let's look at this scripture. This is what he says. As for other matters, brothers and sisters... Right? As for other matters. What he's doing in this moment is he's starting this transition from looking back to looking forward. All right? So what we've covered in the first three chapters is all of these accolades and all these responses that the Apostle Paul had made prior to receiving the letter. Remember, the letter was brought to him 
by Timothy while he was in Corinth. And so what he was basically doing, he was expressing everything that was going on in his heart through this revelation of God towards the church that he had left after it had been born out of a period of three weeks. He was expressing all of his concern and everything for them. The letter is returned to him, the response to his letter or to, to Timothy. So now that he knows that they're doing good, he said, okay, I understand where you're at now. Now for these other matters. Now we're about to move on. We're going into a different direction, okay? We look back. Now we're looking forward. And this is what the scripture says. We instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are living. Now this implies something that you and I need to get. He, said, he says right there, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. It's implying this very thing. There's a manner of living that we've been instructed in that brings about the pleasure of God. Which means what? There's a manner of living that does not bring about what? The pleasure of God. So he's already instructed them on this lifestyle or these decisions that need to be made in their daily lives, right? This is the instructions that Paul had given them. And it says this. He says, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are living. Now the question that you and I have to ask in regards to that scripture is this. Is our desire this morning, honestly, is it to please God? Because I'm telling you, when you read this scripture and he says, I've instructed you, I've given you the directions by which you can accomplish this. Now, if I were to tell you over the next few verses, I'm going to give you some instructions and it's going to allow you to live a lifestyle that is honoring and pleasing to God. Man, your ears should be perking up. I mean, your heart should be opening up. Like, man, give me that. I need that instruction. Why? Because I want to please God. Do you, rhetorical question in nature, do you want to please God? Because if you don't want to please God, then everything I'm about to share with you, these instructions that Paul had given them previously, and then he reiterates them, really isn't going to mean a lot to you. But if the pleasure of God is your desire, then this is for you. And this is some pretty heavy stuff. This is what he says. As in fact you are living. They're already living this out. Now we ask you and urge you. That's what he said. And urge you. It is the word, the Greek word, uh, irateo. All right? When he says urge you, it is the Greek word, irateo, which means a request from a preferred position. Did you get that? This is a request from a preferred position when he says urges. As a matter of fact, it's actually, if you'll allow me to elaborate, it's really a request given special consideration in light of the special relationship involved. So when he's urging him, he or urging them, he's not urging them as some stranger. He's urging them based upon, built upon this intimate dynamic that had been built over a period of three weeks while Paul was in Thessalonica. Let me say this to you, and we'll re reiterate this because it's kind of a theme throughout the scriptures. We're not going to have a voice to speak into the life of another person when we're not vested in that person. Do you understand what I'm saying? When he says urge, it's literally 
That, that very desire is being expressed out of this, this peculiar relationship, this intimate relationship that he had built with these people in Thessalonica. So when we try to enter into other people's lives, man, and we try to speak some heavy truth into their lives without building a relationship, without making deposits into their lives, man, they're just going to push back on us. That's when you get the responses from people like, well, who are you? Why should I take your word? What do you matter to me? But when they know you're vested and that you're urging, you're coming from that special position, that special place of intimacy and friendship and love, then when the word is given to you, regardless of how difficult it is, regardless of how hard it is, regardless of how much it hurts you, because wounds from a friend can be trusted, is what the scripture says, right? If it's built and it's, it, it's born out of an invested individual, man, it may hurt you for a moment. It may sting. It may even offend you for a season. But when you step back, man, and you find yourself in a position to really contemplate what has been said to you by someone who loves you, it has a way of piercing into your heart and into your soul, man. And that's what Paul was saying right here. Man, I urge you. Urge you to do what? Urge you to do what? Urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Did you get this? Did you get that? The very life they were living, the Apostle Paul says, man, it's good. He'd already complimented them. He had already said to them in chapter 3, man, how, how dynamic their lives being expressed in Jesus was, right? But he's saying to them, that ain't enough. In reality, my brothers and sisters, in Thessalonica, there's a power available for you for a continuing progression of growth, a progression of loving, a progression of living a life. He says, I urge you to do this more and more. Do you think he would have urged them to do this more and more inspired by the word of God if it was something they could not do? When God tells you to do something, even though you feel like it's outside of your realm of ability, your realm of strength, your realm of understanding, if God is saying for you to do this, believe me, the power and the strength of God will be provided for you to accomplish that. You remember last week when I said I was taking some Percocet? That was not true for the pain in the elbow. But this morning, <laughs> this morning, uh, I'd ask you to bear with me because uh, I'm fighting through uh, some things in the spirit because of a, of, a, of a certain condition in my back that I'm ministering to you out of. And so instead of stepping to the side and asking one of my brothers and sisters here to share the word with you this morning, um, I didn't want to abandon that responsibility. So I just pray that you guys would be praying for me that I might remain clear as I share this word with you this morning. Amen? You're like, oh my goodness. So if I start blabbering this morning, if I get a little foggy, I don't want anybody standing up trying to interpret what I'm saying and say, Trent, stop for speaking in tongues. Right? I don't need you to do that. That's not what he's doing. He's speaking to you out of a muscle relaxer. It's not the spirit. Not in that sense, right? Okay, let's look at this scripture. Let's go back. Boy, I jumped off the, ra the rabbit trail. Squirrel, right, right? And then this, this is what he says. 
And the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. And the other thing is when he makes this request or this command, this directive to them, he's not saying for them to do it in their own strength. He says, in the Lord Jesus. Now, how many of you have tried to live a life victorious in your own strength? How did that work out? Yeah. By the grace of God, you're still married, right? Right? I'm t- listen, in your own strength, man, there's going to be things that God's going to require of you that in your own strength you're just not going to be able to accomplish. We have to be in Him to accomplish this. We have to be in Him. And then He says this, For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. This wasn't Paul's words, wasn't Timothy's words, wasn't Silas's words. These words were given under the authority, the endorsement of the Spirit of God, of the Lord Jesus. So everything he's about to say isn't some conclusion that Paul had come to on his own, but this was given, these teachings were given under the authority of Jesus, the stamp of Jesus. And so what he's about to do, he's about to transition, he's about to transition into explaining these instructions that he had already given them. He's reiterating these instructions. Why is that? Because it's needed to be reiterated. And this is some pretty heavy stuff. So let's look at it as he elaborates on these instructions. He says, it is God's will that you, ears up, ears up, right? We need to be listening. It is God's will, because people say all the time, "I, I can't discern what God's will is for me, Trent. Well, let's narrow it down. Let's start right here. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Right? Sanctified. Hagiasmos is the Greek. Listen, it means to set apart. All you Nazarenes know this, right? To make holy, but I love this definition. I love this definition. Or the process of advancing in holiness. This isn't a one-time shot where you say, hey man, I'm sanctified. This is a progressive experience. So when he says, do this more and more, this is what he's implying. The availability of God's spirit and God's power to allow you to continue to progress in your spiritual walk with him. Do this more and more. It literally is saying that he's doubling down on this thing. He's doubling down. He says, now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus, remember verse 1, to do this more and more. This is the process of advancing in holiness, right? And then he says this. Now let let me say this. When he says to be sanctified, there's a call to move towards God, right? To be sanctified. And now he's going to make a statement that's going to require a movement away from something else. He says this, that you should vo- avoid sexual immorality, a peko, void, peko in the Greek. It means to create distance, to be away from. This requires a movement away from something. It's the sexual mor- immorality that he's speaking of right here. He was saying, move towards God in sanctification, and in so doing, move away from sexual immorality. Understand, now this is something beautiful that we read through this and sometimes we leave this, we lose this. Understand the call to sanctification proceeds the response to sexual immorality. You get that? Did you get that? 
Because when we're moving towards God, the sexual immorality that God has called us away from happens. It's a movement to and a movement away, but the movement to God is absolutely necessary before the second movement away is accomplished. Why is that? We need Him. We need our lives set apart. We need to engage in this process of evolving holiness, always increasing we need that to start before we can start moving away from stuff. Well, I got people, I hear people all the time say, man, I'm going to get my life cleaned up, and then I'm going to go to church. Now, you know how crazy that sounds, right? Now, a sweet little analogy would be the guy who says, well, once I get healthy, I'll go to the doctor. Right? That's basically what it's saying there. He's basically saying a move towards God and a move away from sexual immorality. Now, if you're in the King James this morning, please forgive me. I'm, I'm trading out my, my bottles this morning, if you will. <clears throat> when it says sexual immorality, the King James will make this statement, okay? The King James will make a statement, and it'll say, Avoid fornication. That's what it says. You can check it out if you're a King James reader. If you've got it with you, you'll see what that says. Right? Well, the word pornea isn't fornication. Now, fornication can be pornea, but the word pornea is so much larger and so much more vast. It literally implies promiscuity of any type whatsoever. Not just Fornication, not just adultery, not just homosexuality, not just this, that, any type, the word pornea. As a matter, as a matter of fact, the word pornea is where we derive what word? You can, well, we've got a class here. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And he says this, and he says, avoid sexual immorality. Now, one of the reasons he is saying this is because in the Roman culture, in that Greek culture, man, there was no boundaries to sexuality. I mean, man, that thing, that thing was wide open. And guess where Thessalonica was in Macedonia? Part of this Roman Empire, part of this Greek influence. And I'm telling you, man, there were things that were taking place within, that were within that culture that would shame even America today. And, man, we're almost beyond being shamed. Right? As a matter of fact, the Roman culture had few sexual boundaries, and the Greek religion considered prostitution a priestly prerogative. Can you imagine this? The sanctity of marriage was so distorted that extramarital interactions or sex was actually considered to be an act of worship. Now, Paul is writing this letter from Athens, right? In it, or from Corinth. And in Corinth, there was actually priestess who were basically prostitutes who would basically occupy these temples of a, a Aphrodite in Corinth, there would be as many as a thousand prostitutes on any given day. And they were serving these false idols, these false gods. And part of the worship of Aphrodite were men going into these temples and having physical exchange with these women. So the church in Thessalonica was born under those conditions. 
So the apostle Paul with that understanding through the inspiration of the Spirit was saying to them, though they had already told them once while they were there, he reiterates this very thing. Avoid these things. Avoid these things. And he goes on and he says this, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. You get that? Each of you, and whose body? Your body, the individual. What is he saying? Someone else can't do that for you. Someone else can't make that decision for you. That is the decision that you will make as an individual. No one else is going to do that for you. He says, each of you, right? And then he says, your body, individually responsible. And then he goes on and he says this. Right? When he says to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, he contrasts living for God, which is holy and honorable, with the sexual immorality, which is neither. He says, don't, 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 be, don't be doing this. You need to present your body in a way that is holy and honorable, right? And I'm, I'm going really, to get real with you, Okay? You'll hear people say all the time, oh, sin is sin. God sees sin as sin. There's no great sin. There's no greater sin. There's no lesser sin. I'm going to tell you something that's not absolutely true. Now, sin is sin, but there is a difference in the sin. Did you realize this? As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul addresses this. When he's in Corinth, where sexual immorality is running rampant, the Apostle Paul addresses this. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. You see the distinction there? Now, I'm, I'm kind of transparent. You guys know this, right? I'm not hiding anything. You know, what you see is what you get. Now, that may not be much, but hey, it is what it is, right? And I've always tried to be transparent. I've always tried to be honest. I've always tried to be real. And so what I'm going to do today, I'm going to share a little story. And I'm, I'm out there, man. I'm, I'm putting myself out there, okay? I've shared this with a couple of people here at the church. I'm going to share it with you today just to make a point. When he talks about all other sin is outside the body, the sexual sin is a sin against your own body. When I was a young man, which I'm not any longer. The guys who were playing basketball with me when I broke my elbow told me that. I said, Dad, you're old. You're old. And when I said, hey, Dad, we know who we're talking about, right? Okay. But when I was a younger man, before I ever knew Christ, you guys know I was raised in a home in a housing project, drunken father. Church was as distant from me as the moon is from you now. I knew nothing about church. Now, listen, I'm going to open myself up, Okay. All right, you got to see me with some grace, okay? I lived a wild life. I was out there. I was involved with many people. And I'm trying to PG this thing for you, okay? And every time I engaged in that type of activity, I always thought there was something to be gained. And even as a lost person, every time I came out of that, I felt like I was less than. I felt like a part of me had been stripped from me. I had been divided. I felt thinner. And then in 1988, 
ignorant to the gospel, September 25th, which would have been last Monday, I gave my life to Jesus, okay? Let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase that. I received Jesus to get out of hell, right? Now, how many of you received Jesus on those, right? Yeah, and some of y'all, there's some whose arms aren't being raised, I know. You know, it was a fire insurance type thing, September 25th, 1988. Now, as a young convert who had no understanding of the scripture and whatnot, I said, well, I'm saved. Whatever impulses I, I have, it is what it is. And I went through that stage for a couple years of being up and down. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. How many of you, when you were first saved, man, man, you were, you were rough, right? And so there are times, Jay, that I would distance myself from the church out of guilt. You know why? Because even though I'd accepted Jesus, there was a warring in my flesh that had an appetite for these activities. And I would succumb to them as a young man. And then what would happen, as I began to get thinner and thinner, there was this overwhelming guilt and shame that would come with those activities. Now I want to say, make a little comment on that. We at the Driven Church are not condemners. But let me say this to you, do not be a liberator of people from the conviction of the Spirit of God. Amen. When our brothers and sisters are involved in activities outside of the will of God, I'm talking about sexual activities, and they feel guilty and they feel shamed, sometimes the best thing we can do is step back and let God deal with them. You know what we want to do? We want to step in and remove the guilt and the shame and pretend, oh, no, no, you're just human, you're all right, that's okay. And then we do them a disservice as opposed to allowing them to sit in the conviction of the Spirit. That's free. And so, a couple years this happened, and then I'd, I'd, I'd escape church for three or four months. I'd go back, I'd, I'd get quote unquote resaved. I've been saved about 25 times. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you know what I'm talking about. And all you Calvinists out there say, no, you ain't. You only been saved once, Trent. All right. But you know what I mean, right? Go to church, man, the conviction, the guilt, man, you run up there, man. I mean, stinking carpet on fire. You run so fast. And I'd get up there and I'd say, Lord, forgive me. But I wasn't drawn in to God, to be honest with you. I just wanted to be forgiven. I wanted to make sure my policy was up to date. Right? Right? And then September 22nd, 1991, there was this incredible transition in my life where I felt like God was saying to me, I was sitting about where Ashley is sitting in this church service. And God had said to me, Trent, today's, you decide. Are you with me or are you against me? This was September 22nd, 1991. And I came forward and I said, oh God, the up and down, man, is wearing me out. I just want to stay up with you. And a decision was made that day to stay up. Now about three years later, I met the young lady who, I'm, who I already knew. I've, I've known her from church, but I met the young lady. And, uh, and I knew she was going to be the lady I was going to marry. Now I'm going to go ahead and tell you today, if you want to know my opinion on the matter, I'm going to tell you even if you don't want to know. Right? Uh, I'm not down with these three, four, five year uh, engagement nonsense. 
right? Once I realized she was the one, no, nah, man, I wasn't burning. With, no, I'm like, we're getting married, right? Right? I'd been honoring God. I was up, man, and I met her. And I remember God saying to me, man, this, brother, this was hard. And Carrie will know this. And I pray I'm not stepping out of bounds. God is a redeemer and a restorer, but understand God is a preserver as well. The greatest path to travel is the path of preservation, where the restoration, the redemption isn't needed. But if it's needed, he can do that. And I remember sitting down with my wife after I had proposed to her, and I, and I said, hey, uh, I just got to tell you where I've been and what I've done. And I made a list of names. In my mind, I spoke them, and I said, Carrie, these, these are the people that I've been with. After about four hours, she, I'm just kidding, wasn't that bad? <laughs> it was not far off. I said, um, you're engaged to damaged goods, is what I was saying to her. And I knew she had saved herself for marriage. And I said to her, all I've got to give to you is three years of honoring God, of being pure, of pursuing him. I can't give you more than that because I wasted that. And out of her love for me and the grace of God, her response, though what she was giving me in the purity of her life so outweighed what I could exchange for her, she accepted those three years. But the thinness, the thinness that I was experiencing could have been avoided, could have been completely avoided. But I engaged in something that neither honored God nor honored me. And I want to say to you, wherever you're at in your life, I don't, I don't even care the age, because it's not really that important. Wherever you're at, always choose. Choose preservation. And if you're saying this morning, trip for me, it's too late. Then choose redemption and restoration. And you too can give that, if not more than what I was able to give. And he says this, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. You know what Paul was saying? Hey, church in Thessalonica, I know what you're living in, but God's called us to a higher place. Of holy, a higher place. And I know everyone around you is living a different life, on a different track, doing different things. But it, never, it will never give you the okay as sons and daughters of God to engage in the same activities as the pagans who don't know God. You can almost see Paul saying, I can understand them being like that. They don't know God. But we're without excuse, brothers and sisters. We know him. Right? 
And if you're a visitor here this morning, you think, oh, goodness, what did I walk into? You just walked into a Bible study. And he says this. Now listen, this is some tough stuff here, man. And that in this matter, watch this, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Listen. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. See, this is a second run of this instruction. When he says as or and that in this matter, he's talking about sexual immorality within the church. That's the context. He says, and in this matter, listen, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. He is basically saying if you're in Jesus, if you're in Jesus, the punishment thing sounds hard, but God is saying to you guys, do not take advantage of your brother or sister who are also in Jesus. Do not do this, hence the punishment of God. That's what he said, the discipline of God. God's not going to let this slide that your appetite be satisfied at the cost of another brother or sister. And Paul lays it down heavy and he says, God will administer punishment. Literally, he will not turn a blind eye to your activities. Ekdikos, the word for punishment, means an avenger. When it says God will punish, God will avenge. Or advocate to administer, listen, justice. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, man, you know this scripture. Most do, anyway. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, and whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. That is the discipline. That is the punishment. You will reap destruction. I'm telling you, sexual activity outside of the context of marriage, the way it was ordained by God, will deliver destruction on a, predict on a predictable basis equal to that of the UPS man in your Amazon package. I mean, it, it is delivered on time. You can count on it. And that's what he says. That's what he says. And he says these words in closing this out. He said, as we told you and warned you before. Now let me, because we're talking about sexual immorality, let me say this to you. Sexuality, sexuality within the context of marriage is one of the more beautiful things and gifts that God has given us. Now, you're like, oh man, Trent is so, man, he's done taking it to another level this morning. It's just the scripture. You've got to deal with it. Right? With, within this context of marriage, sexuality between a husband and a wife is God-ordained for the benefit, benefit and the pleasure of the married couple. There is a bonding that happens under the ordaining of God that is unchallenged. I say to you in my own shame, Though my life was full of sexual activity when I was a young man, I bonded not with any of those people, but have bonded with my wife in a manner that is God-ordained, that's inseparable. 
Just like fire in a fireplace has its purpose, right? Man, it'll keep you warm on it. It'll, it'll cook up a hot dog on it, you know? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you have been out the house. Even my little fires that I create. I mean, there's a benefit to the, to the fire. I mean, it's, it'll keep you warm. I mean, it's, it's nice. But fire outside of the fireplace will burn you down. Will absolutely burn you down. And let me say this in our culture, the fire is outside of the fireplace. 1,800% of growth in pornography on the internet in the last five years. 33% of men will commit adultery in the United States. $12 billion is what the porn industry took in last year, more than the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. 56% of all divorces involve someone in an unfaithful expression in their marriage. Listen to this, 25% of women will cheat on their husbands. You talking about the fire outside of the fireplace? 50% of marriages that will be affected will be affected by adultery. 50% of worldwide online porn traffic comes from the United States. I'm telling you, man, in the time that I've been in the, in the service of the king, I've sat with married couples whose lives are crumbling because the fire is outside the fireplace. Crumbling because instead of moving towards God and sanctification, they've chosen to embrace sexual immorality in whatever expression it may be. I've seen husbands broken over unfaithful wives. I've seen wives broken over unfaithful Husbands, I've seen children broken because their parents were broken. And for you and me, as followers of Jesus, we can't allow the fire to get out of the fireplace. Do you see? You hear me? Paul was saying these words to the church of Thessalonica. God was ordaining it. Why? Because God knows the damage. You know the damage. Trust is broken. A man and a woman no longer look at themselves the same when violations have taken place. You can see it. The distance in their hearts from one another is expressed in their daily life. Man, it's... it's Visible. Then he says this. For God did not call us to be impure. Hey, young, young believers in Thessalonica, you know this. God didn't call us to be un impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God 
the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Wow. It says, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. You know what he was saying to the Thessalonians right there? He was saying, I know what you live in, man. I know what you're living in. I see the chaos. I see the insanity around you. The oversaturation of immoral sexual activity within the culture. I see it. And I know of the idols and the gods of idolatry that this activity is expressing itself in. I know all that. But I'm not talking about those false gods and false idols. I'm talking about these are instructions from God. And then he goes on and he says, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. That God. 2 Corinthians 1, 21, 22 says this. Now it is God who makes... Oh. Listen. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. The call of God is empowered by God. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. And he said to them, the very God that gave you the Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit. You know why he said that? Because they had experienced that. They knew that was real. And they lived amongst all the insanity their entire lives. And then he validates his statement being from God by saying, in your hearts this is undeniable, for you're a possessor of his spirit, of his spirit. These are tough scriptures. This is a tough subject matter, but it must be navigated. Because God has called us to a pure life. A God who has made a deposit into our hearts, into our spirits, that being the Spirit of God. This should be a given, right? It should be a given, but it's not lived out like it's a given. Honorable and right isn't dictated by what the majority is doing. It's dictated by what God says. And the Apostle Paul is pleading with them to live a life of holiness more and more. That's what he's pleading with them about. Why? Because they want something to know. This God has given you his spirit. God loves you. Why would you live a life that would wound the heart of God when he's yours and you're his? As the story goes, I read this week, it said a group of teenagers were enjoying a party and someone suggested that they go to a certain restaurant for a good time. I'd rather you took me home, responded one young lady in the group. With hesitation in her voice, she said, my parents don't approve of that place. Are you afraid your father will hurt you? One of the girls said sarcastically laughing, and the girl responded, no, I'm afraid I might hurt my father. A true child of God who has experienced the goodness of God and the mercy of God 
should not have a desire to sin against such love. Now, he dealt with the sexual immorality because it was something that was on the front burner in that region, and God spoke that because it needed to be emphasized two times. He had taught it while he was there, and he writes it back to them. Don't forget. Don't forget. If you want to please God, don't forget. Don't get sucked in to the vortex of the culture. But it was really more about being sanctified. Because if we'll set ourselves apart, if we'll do that, God will make us whole. And in the process of ever growing into the more and more of Him, we'll begin. And I'm telling you, if we're pursuing that, all these other things, man, will come into conflict with our hearts. And if we're pursuing that in God, we will naturally, or might I say supernaturally, begin to distance ourselves Amen. from the lust of the flesh and the direction of the culture. So the call this morning is really to the call of sanctification, of saying to yourself, making a decision in your heart, I want to be set apart. I want to be set apart. I want to be made whole. I don't want to hurt him. I don't want to hurt him who loves me so much. Now what we normally do at the end of the service from time to time, we'll, we'll give you a chance to respond. So I'm going to ask you to stand up. Stand up with me this morning, if you would, please, just for a moment. Carrie's going to come. Now, I'm going to give you a look on the inside of how this works. What I know. And it's this. I told my son this morning. I said, Clark, we're going to give an altar call at the end of the service. But people won't move. You know why? You know why they won't? You know why a man won't move this morning? It's because he's afraid that if he steps out, even if this isn't his issue and he just wants to draw closer to God, that he's going to be labeled as that. You know why your sister ain't going to step out this morning? Even if this isn't her issue, but she has a heart desiring closeness to God. You know why she ain't going to step out? She don't want to be labeled as one who struggles with such. <clears throat> Only brave people step out. Brave people who have the pleasure of God above the pleasure of men. Who say, I need God more than I need the affirmation of another person. I need to move closer to God. I need more of Him. I need Him. I would say to you, my brothers and sisters, be brave this morning. Be brave. You are, not, you are not labeled. No one's giving you the stinky eye. 
No one's judging you. I've been with Paul delivered that message for the first time in that church there in Thessalonica, the Thessalonian church. And I've been people come running if they even did altar calls. I've been people responding left and right. And I've said it one, if I've said it once, I'll say it a dozen times. This church was born in three weeks and was powerful, powerful. And they were called out of this type of a life. So this morning is your chance. But you're going to have to be brave. You're going to have to be brave. So Father, in Jesus' name, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, because we want communion with you. We just want it. We want to enter into that prayer closet. We want to say to you, give me your strength. Give me your power. Give me the desire to be closer to you and distant from everything that draws me away from you. Is that your prayer this morning? Draw me closer to God, pulling me away from things that are distant from Him. I'm telling you, if you're willing to be brave this morning, God's willing to work. I mean, I put myself out there. One of the reasons I put myself out there was to liberate you. Was to liberate you. And what God has done for me, God can do for you. He's no respecter of persons. Does God even love me? Yes. Yes, He does. Come and see. Come and see. This is your moment. This is your moment to respond. In the name of Jesus. Amen.